This is my relationship to my people. In the Old Testament, it was Israel. In the New Testament, it's the church. The application is still the same. James says that whenever we turn from God to other gods, it's like, it's like adultery. It's an adulterous relationship. And God is saying that the kind of relationship that I've always had with my people is not a detached and, and disinterested uh, formal relationship. It's intimate and, and, and loving. And whenever you go from me to other gods, it's like going away to infidelity. Not only is he so revealing or showing us a picture of his relationship to his people, but he is revealing to us the horrible nature of sin. How heinous and grievous is any sin. Perhaps the greatest sin of our time is that we take sin lightly. We've been brainwashed by the devil and we no longer are shocked by sin. Jeremiah says that we no longer can even blush and we take it lightly. We, 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 we shrug our shoulders and God keeps bringing us back to the reality that sin, this sin, their sin, or any and every sin is grievous to God and it's like this to Him. It's like committing adultery to Him and we may look upon it lightly, but God says, this is the way I look at it. And even though we sin, he, he says, and even though Gomer sinned, God says, I still care for her. I still care for you. I still love you. I want you to show that to Hosea. I want you to show that. I want you to go and bring her back. And also it reveals to us the terrible price of forgiveness. I think we tend to think that forgiveness is easy. I mean, I hear preachers that sound like this. Come on, everybody, get your forgiveness. We got a, we got a sidewalk sale on it today. It's cheap. It's never easy to forgive. I'm talking about God's forgiveness here. As a matter of fact, it's not easy for us to forgive. Now we may forgive, but every time we see that person, we think about it. It's not easy to forgive. It's never easy for God to forgive. Fosdick, is, in his marvelous sermon, The High Cost of Forgiveness, puts it like this. When therefore the gospel has invited men to forgiveness, it never has invited them to a lighthearted place where sin is condoned. It has called them to the cross. And they have always heard the cross saying to them that it was hard even for God to forgive. It cost. It cost just what it always costs when men forgive. Love putting itself in our place, bearing on its innocence the burdens of our, burden of our guilt. For when a mother forgives a son or God forgives us, a cross is always at the center of it and it's not easy. You think it was easy for Hosea to go down that marketplace and buy his wife back? I tell you, it was the hardest thing he ever did. To, to, to admit the shame and the embarrassment of that, to go down that marketplace and say, this is my wife, I want her back. I tell you, it must have been the hardest thing he ever did. And so God is reminding us that 
When Jesus, His Son, was stripped in shame, that was not an easy thing. And when He put that cross on His back and walked down Main Street to Calvary, it was no easy thing. It cost to forgive. For sin, your sin, any sin, breaks His heart. And what I want to do this morning is look at that sin that breaks God's heart. Now when we'll look at all of them, it wouldn't, we wouldn't have the time to do it. And some of us are time conscious. I've just chosen three that I think are representative of the sin that's found in Hosea that breaks his heart. First, the sin that breaks God, God's heart is our disregard for his word. Now if you have his, your, your Bible there, look at verse 12 of chapter 8. Though I wrote for them 10,000 precepts of my law, they have regarded as a strange thing. In the Hebrew it is, they have regarded it as a stranger, an alien, as somebody, something that doesn't belong. Now what he's saying is this, Though I have borne my heart and I have given my word, they treat it like a stranger. I don't like to write, uh, especially my column. You know how much blood and sweat goes into that column, silly little old column I write for the church paper. You'd read it more often. By the way, I spent all that time. I would appreciate if you'd read that thing, you know. And, and if I, you know, I, I, don't, I have friends, that I, my, my own daughter, I start to write her and I think, what the heck, I'll just reach over there and call her. You know, I hate to write. But if I'm going to write something, I would appreciate it if you read it. If I'm going to write you a letter, I, I, I sure wouldn't, you know, feel too hot about you taking that letter and throwing it in the trash and never reading it. God said, I bore my heart to you. And what did you do? You took my word and you threw it away. Now there were some, never read it, now there were some laws that, with regard to aliens in Hosea's time, an alien was perfectly welcome to be there. I mean, he could come right there and live. He was perfectly welcome. But he never had a voice in the affairs of the community. And if one of these aliens went to a town meeting and, and some business affairs were being conducted and he got up and said, well, let me give you my opinion, probably somebody would sit, say, sit down, fella, you don't have a voice here. You're an alien, you don't have a word to say. Now God said, you're perfectly at home with my word. You've cleaned off a place on the coffee table for it. You've made a place for it on my shelf. And every Sunday morning, you make your way to hear it proclaimed. But it doesn't have a voice in the affairs of your life. I mean, when it comes down to making some decision, it's never consulted. And whenever you get ready to decide what you're going to do, you never consult my word. It's like a stranger. It's like it didn't even belong. It's like it doesn't have a word to say. And I suppose that this might be the foundation of all of our sin. Hear me well, my friend. For when we have a disregard for the Word of God, we have carte blanche to do anything we please, we think. 
the sin that breaks God's heart is a disregard for His Word. Secondly, it's a desecration of His worship. Now with your Bible there, look at verse 13 of chapter 8. As for my sacrificial gifts, they sacrifice the flesh. That's just what they were supposed to do. It was a part of the law of God that they bring sacrifice. It wasn't you know, just the sacrifice of some grain. That was a festival. But there were sacrifices they brought were sacrifices of flesh. It might be a dove if you're poor, but it was the best of the flock if you were rich and the best dove if you were poor. I mean, it was the sacrifice of flesh. So far, so good. They were doing what they were told. But the next phrase races up a red flag. Look at that. They sacrifice the flesh and they eat it. Now here's what went on in that Jewish world. Well, if you were a priest, a part of the perks of your job was you got to eat the sacrifices people brought. And so they'd bring these sacrifices and they'd offer them at the altar. Sometimes it just the blood of the sacrifice and then the, then the meat was left and that was how the priest ate. That was how they got their, you know, their lunch is that they ate the sacrifice, but just the priest. I mean, the folks couldn't bring the sacrifice and sacrifice it and then eat it. That was against the law. And to do that was to desecrate the sacrifice. To do that was to desecrate the sacrifice and the worship. It was to make the sacrifice selfish. Now watch carefully. What he's saying is, is that these people are thinking to themselves, man, this is the best, you know, got this uh, nice steer, you know, and T-bone steak, and I've got to bring it down there and give it to the church? No way, man. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take out the best of the flock just like we're supposed to. We'll go down there and sacrifice, and then we'll just eat it. I mean, you can do both, kill two birds with one stone. Now, I want you to notice two things. Watch this carefully. They were making their worship an excuse for the fulfillment of their physical appetite. You know what sound like anybody you know? Sun's starting up and there's some morning clouds back in the east. Beautiful sight. But they're useless, really. There's nothing, hear me now, there's nothing any more beautiful than people coming down an aisle and giving their heart to God, rededicating their life to Christ. There's nothing more beautiful than that. There's nothing any more beautiful then people coming, making commitments and, 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 and following and, and saying, I'm going to work and, so, and all that kind of stuff. Listen to me. But if that's as far as it goes, it's useless. If that's as far as it goes, it's useless. When you mislay, when you, when you despise the work of God, it means that your goodness disappears when the heat's on. And it gets on, I promise you that. And there's a third implication. You forget God in the day of prosperity. 
I was sitting at my desk the other day and I was reading chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. And I got under some pretty heavy conviction. For I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. If you want to look at something tragic, look at chapter 11, verse 1. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. The more they called them, the more they went after them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. Unbelievable. I called Israel out of Egypt, but the more these gods whispered, the more they went after them. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I did for Ephraim whatever a father does to a child. I, was, I taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms, but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cards of a man, with bonds of love, and I became to them as one who lifts a yoke from their jaws, and I bent down and fed them. I did everything for them. I gave them freedom, I gave them hope, I gave them deliverance, I gave them the very food they eat, and they forgot me. One of the hardest things to handle today is success. No nation's ever succeeded with success. Some nations have endured and succeeded poverty overcome poverty. No nation has ever overcome prosperity. This is what God is saying. He said, I knew you when you were out there in the wilderness. You didn't have a thing, not even a shirt on your back. I knew you when nobody else did. I knew you when you didn't have a thing. I knew you when you're nothing, when you were nobody. Sure reminds me of somebody I know. One day, somebody was um, saying, "Is uh, won't name names, but said, is he your son? I said, uh, yeah, my son. And they jokingly said, you'd admit it? <laughs> I said, you bet I would admit it. Of course I would admit it. I won't say this. I hope I don't get emotional. Hosea goes down into the slave pit. He sees this woman standing there. She didn't have a, she has rags on. She's young, but she looks old, emaciated and scarred and dirty. And Hosea said, that's my wife. She's my wife. I love her. She's a mother of my kids. This, this woman here, hey, I can just see him going around. This, this woman, I, I found her. That's my wife. I love her. And he knew her when she wasn't worth knowing. And he loved her 
when she wasn't worth loving. And he took her back when he had every reason to leave her there to die. And that's how God found you. And that's how God found me. And you've already forgotten. And that's what breaks his heart. Now what are we going to do about this sin? Well, we need to do something with it. And about the only thing I know to do with it is to bring it to God and let him forgive it. Let him take it away and let him forgive. Let's pray together. Almighty Father God, when we were in the drought, in the wilderness, you knew us there. When we were not worthy of love, you found us and loved us, called us. And Lord, yeah, in our prosperity, We've forgotten you. Forgive us of our sin. And help us, Lord, to come today to the place of commitment and to come back to let you find us and love us again. Make us new and restore us. We repent of our sin and lay ourselves upon your grace and helplessness. Hope, in hope that you will forgive and pardon, renew and restore. For I pray this for myself and for this people who hear, and for your sake. There are three invitations this morning. There's an invitation for you to come give your life to Christ. Say, well, I'm not worthy. I will, that's right. That's why he came today to this room to confront you with your need to say, I want you to come to me. Put yourself, throw yourself upon me, my mercy and grace, and I will save you. I'll forgive your sin. I'll restore you. Maybe you need to rededicate your life to Christ. You've gone away from God and you've considered that sin is a small matter. And you want to come back to God today or to come and place your life in this church to these people that God has called out, serve Him together. Why don't you do it right away while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.